Good morning, church. It's good to be with you today and every Sunday, uh, and especially this morning, uh, as we know that there's lots of things happening. Uh, we have our normal stressors and burdens, challenges, concerns, anxieties of everyday life, uh, and yet, every so often, there's more. Uh, and I don't know about you, but I've been distracted uh, having lots of different emotions, trying to process. Many of you are even this morning. Uh, and so I'm encouraged and want to encourage you that you're in the right place. Not because I have a special word from the Lord, but because I have the word of the Lord, that we have God's word that we can go to together. And to gather together around the word of God is exactly what we should be doing, both in times of peace and in times of war, and everything in between. Now, before we begin this morning, I felt it appropriate just to to read a few words uh, of liturgy, just being mindful of the situation. Hopefully it will bring peace uh, and it will uh, prepare us uh, even more as we sit before the Lord. O God, our rock, hold us in this chaos. O Christ, our King, calm us in this storm. O Holy Spirit, Intercede for us. Be merciful, most merciful God. O God, our rock, hold us in the chaos of this hard hour. O Christ, our King, calm us in the storm of our distress. O Holy Spirit, intervene and intercede. We need you now, most merciful God. Amen. And if you have your Bibles with you, you can turn to James chapter 1. We'll be looking this morning at verses 19 through 27. But as we begin, let me read a quote from St. Augustine of Hippo. He says, Faith will falter if the authority of Holy Scripture is shaken. And if faith falters, love itself decays. For if someone lapses in his faith, he inevitably lapses in his love as well, since he cannot love what he doesn't believe to be true. So Augustine understood deeply the place of God's word and the place that God's word must have in the life of the Christian. And that's because it transforms us. It realigns our desires. It empowers us to love him and to love others. The reformers, and when I say reformers, I'm speaking of the, uh, those who took uh, a role in the Protestant Reformation that took place 500 years ago, were also impacted uh, greatly by Augustine's words and his writing as they themselves were returning to the Holy Scripture as the foundation of Christian life. And so, I find it exceedingly appropriate for us as a church to be in the book of James, who also takes us to the centrality of God's Word. You see, friends, in his letter, James is calling Christians to wholeheartedly live out their faith, and to do that, we need to understand the centrality of God's word in our lives, that God's word must be central 
to who we are as Christians. God, the Father of lights, doesn't change. And if God doesn't change, his words never change. God isn't like humans who shift like shadows, speaking both lies and truth from the same mouth. God is not like politicians and leaders of countries who speak words for their own gain, changing their words based on their changing needs. No, God speaks the words of life. His words are true and right and will remain forever. Now, we saw last week, and we'll continue to see today, that God relates to us through his word. James tells us that God gave us birth, and this is uh, him speaking uh, of our salvation by the word of truth. Chapter 1, verse 18. So so we not only respond to the life-giving words that bring about our salvation, Christians are also called to live a life that responds and relates to God through the word, through the Bible. Our sermon title uh, today, as you see in your bulletin, is Faith That Responds. And what James wants us to see, and what I hope that we'll see together as we go to God's word, is that an unresponsive faith is no faith at all. Uh, that'll serve as our main point this morning if you are taking notes. An unresponsive faith is no faith at all. Let's pray together as we go to God's word. Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you that you have made yourself known to us. You've given us access to you by your Son who came down to make you known, and to, to live in our place and to die in our place. And we thank you that you make yourself known through your word. Lord, help us to see your word as trustworthy because you are trustworthy. And we pray, Father, that you would speak to us, that you'd be faithful to us as we go to your word because you are a faithful God. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, our passage this morning divides uh, into three parts. And the middle section, uh, verses 22 through 25, hold James's main teaching. Let's begin by reading verses 19 through 21. James chapter 1, verses 19 through 21. My dear brothers and sisters, understand this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For human anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. Therefore, ridding yourselves of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, humbly receive the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Now, first of all, I want to point out uh, the tenderness in James's voice, the pastoral love that he has for these people, right? He, he writes, my dear brothers and sisters, 
Uh, literally, it's translated, my beloved brethren, my brothers and sisters. And, and James's intent is to guide, to, to direct, to shepherd them. And notice with me, it's, it's a call to think, a, a call to recognize something. Just like we considered last week in the beginning of his letter, James wasn't calling these believers who are scattered abroad, experiencing various trials and hardships. He's not calling them to feel differently about their trials, about their struggles, but to think differently. Consider it joy. So James is reasoning with them and reasoning with us. And the rest of verse 19 is very quotable. Uh, it can serve as, as very good generic advice in any sort of communication. You can put it up on a motivational poster. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Now, as we continue to study through the book of James, we will see later that James does address the importance of the way that we speak and interact with one another, but our context here helps us to understand what he's doing at this point of the letter. So we'll notice that James kind of builds on things. Just like last week, he mentioned the rich and the poor, but the purpose was trusting in God, not in riches and, and, or poverty. And yet later he will bring that up because that's a struggle that people are going with. And so similarly here, he's not primarily speaking about our interaction with one another. Now he, he, he is referencing something he's going to make a point about later on, but primarily the context helps us understand that James is speaking about the Word of God. So in verse 18, James is talking about the Word of God, how we've been given spiritual and eternal life through the Word of Truth. Then at the end of this thought in verse 21, we again see James referring to the Word of God. This time it's not about salvation, it's about transformation. And so the context of listening and, and speaking and anger is in relation to the Word of God. Now, for more context, remember last week, in the midst of hardship, in the midst of trial, the thing that we need and the thing that we don't have is wisdom. And so what does James say? Ask for wisdom. If we ask, God will give wisdom to us. But how does he do that? Through his word. So he says here, be quick to listen. The call in the description of, of being quick to listen is, is that you are eager to hear, that you want to hear what God is speaking, right? That there's a desire to know what God says. That's the imagery and instruction that James is giving. He's calling us to prioritize God's word in our lives, and it's a priority over our own words, right? That's, that's where slow to speak comes in. But we have quick to listen, slow to speak, and then slow to anger. Where, where does anger fit in this? What it seems to be pointing out is that God's word won't always be pleasing to our ears. I was waiting for someone to yell amen, which would have been very bold of you to do. But I think we all feel that, right? Like, yeah, like I don't like everything that I read in God's word. Right? There may be times or teachings that will anger us and, and frustrate us. There will be certain doctrines that are hard to accept, but that's not because of their theological technicalities. I don't really understand how this works. No, 
They're hard to accept because we don't want to. There's a book that I I thought about by theologian uh, D.A. Carson. Uh, It's titled, The Difficult Doctrine of the Love of God. The Difficult Doctrine of the Love of God. And so you might be thinking from the title, well, what's difficult about the love of God? Isn't that the, the one thing that's clear? Isn't that the one thing that we should easily understand? But Carson works through topics of sin and wrath, holiness, and election. And we saw it briefly last week. I didn't highlight it much because it wasn't the main point of our passage. But in verse 18, James wrote that by God's choice, he gave us birth. Well, then we ask, how does does choosing an election work? What, what, What about expectations for holy living? Why does God set the standard which are so different than the cultural standard of life? And so as we go to God in his word, we will be confronted with things we don't like, things that we don't want to submit to or accept. It may stir up anger that God has something to say about every part of our lives. So James warns us about it. Again, context is key. It's important. For us to understand God's word or to understand really any situation, even outside of God's word, we need to understand the context. And so let's remember the context from last week. James knows that people, whether Christians or not, will blame God for their troubles or will blame God for their temptations, which lead to sin. But we're to be slow to anger. We're called not to react or to to lash out. And if we're to grow in faith and righteousness, which is a major thrust of what, what James is doing here, our posture, that means our position, the way that we approach God, the way that we approach not only God but God and his word, can't be anger. Anger can never accomplish the righteousness of God. The posture is Humility. And, and that's what we see here in verse 21. It's the idea of an exchange. Right? We get rid of evil and moral filth as it's replaced with something else. And James presents the word. Right? Humbly receive the implanted word which is able to save your souls. I found it surprising that there's something that Spurgeon wrote that I thought was appropriate for, for me to share this morning. Um, that's a joke. I, I, I refer to Spurgeon often because of, as you'll see here in a moment, he says, receive, so right, humbly receive the implanted word. He's speaking about the word receive. He says, receive is a very instructive gospel word. It is the door through which God's grace enters to us. We're not saved by working, but by receiving. Not by what we give to God, but what God gives to us and we receive from him. Now, again, context, right? James isn't speaking about salvation here. He did that already in verse 18. What he's doing is writing about maturity and sanctification. The the imagery, which we're going to see a lot of in this book, uh, this imagery of an implanted word helps us to understand that it's something that's meant to grow. Right? Like a planted seed, if it's planted properly, it doesn't remain as a seed. It 
grows. It transforms. And so let's, let's quickly hear and humbly receive the word so that it would bear fruit in our lives. Not just the fruit that God wants to see, but the fruit that we as believers want to see in our lives. The implanted word of God, we understand both in James and throughout Scripture, becomes a permanent part of our lives. It becomes an inseparable part of our lives. The word of God is, is, a guide, is a guiding and commanding presence. Like the psalmist says, your word is a lamp unto my feet. And so to humbly receive it speaks of submitting to the power and authority of God's word. And if we don't, what happens? Well, we can go back to what Augustine said, right, in, in the opening quote of the sermon. Our faith and love will falter, will be shaken, will be unsure as the authority of the Holy Scripture is shaken. Now, some don't listen, and so James is calling us to listen quickly. But then he goes on to say that it's not enough to only listen. What we need is a faith that responds. Now, we're going to see that in this next section, but a comment about this phrase Save your souls, right? Humbly receive the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Verse 18, again, James wrote about the beginning of faith, right? A new birth. Here, save refers to the end of our faith, the culmination, the finality of our salvation. But, but there is a point that's worth dwelling on, something that we can think about together. Is salvation only about not going to hell? Is salvation only about not going to hell? Right? What has Jesus saved you from? How are you being saved and transformed today? Years ago, I listened to a, an old recording, an old sermon recording. It sounded like it was from the 1800s, which I know isn't true. That's the quality of it, the voice, the person, the pastor was an old pastor, and the pastor asked a similar thing. Let me quote a part of that here. He said, are you saved? What are you saved from? Hell? Are you saved from bitterness? Are you saved from lust? Are you saved from cheating? Are you saved from lying? What are you saved from? And so in, in different wording, James is really saying the same thing here. What he's saying is that an intellectual belief isn't enough. A faith that only hears isn't enough. Friends, if you only understand the gospel for its saving power, the idea of regeneration, that we are transferred from the realm of darkness to the realm of light. If you only see and understand the gospel as that, but not as a call to obedience, and not as the power that transforms and redirects our lives, then James is saying that you haven't truly embraced the gospel. Let's keep reading, and we'll see how all this fits together. Look with me to the rest of the passage, verses 22 through 27. James chapter 1, verse 22. But be doers of the word, 
and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Because if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like someone looking at his own face in a mirror. For he looks at himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of person he was. But the one who looks intently into the perfect law of freedom and perseveres in it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer who works, this person will be blessed in what he does. In verse 26, if anyone thinks he is religious without controlling his tongue, his religion is useless, and he deceives himself. Pure and undefiled religion before God the Father is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Let me begin by just saying a few uh, words about verses 26 and 27, and then we're going to spend the rest of our time this morning uh, in the middle section. Now, if you were with us a few weeks ago, you might remember from the intro that I gave on this book, is that James sort of outlines the rest of his letter in these last two verses. He'll address caring for others in chapter 2. He'll address controlling the tongue in chapter 3. He addresses holiness of living and what it looks like to be unstained from the world in chapter 4. And so we'll get to that in time. Now, to point out in these last two verses, James isn't describing a fully defined religion. He's not saying this is what Christianity is, these three things, right? Caring for others, uh, living a holy life, and controlling your tongue. No, but as Calvin says, James reminds us that religion without these things is nothing. So this isn't a, a complete image of what Christianity is, but if you have in your mind a Christianity without these things, then that's, that is nothing. That is not religion. That is not faith. That is not teachings of Christ. And again, we'll, com- we'll, we'll come to consider uh, that these outward expressions and expectations in the life of the Christian are based on the saving work of God. That's because our very salvation, friends, is grounded in the fact that God helps the helpless. You and I. God loves and cares for the destitute. And so James will develop all these things later in the letter, but what he does here first is lay the groundwork of how we are to respond and relate to God's word as we see in verses 22 through 25. Friends, our faith must be a faith that responds because an unresponsive faith is no faith at all. The the illustration of looking into a mirror is helpful, and it points out two things. The nature of our disobedience, verses 22 to 24, and the way of obedience in verse 25. The word of God, the the message of the gospel, the perfect law of freedom, all these are different phrases referring to the same thing. They require a response. If truly believed, they provoke a response. And what James is telling us in, in multiple different ways is that if we only hear and we don't do, right? If we're only hearers and not doers, if we don't respond, then we have deceived ourselves. 
It's an interesting word in the Greek. The literal translation of that word is two parts. To, to be deceived is to be beside logic. So, so here's what's logical, here's what's right, and you're standing beside it. If we are only hearers and not doers, then we are reasoning besides the point. We are working around logic. I think one way to understand it is, is to say instead of that you deceive yourself, that you can understand it this way, that you are excusing yourself. It's literally making an excuse. Are you standing aside from what should be done because you're excusing yourself from what is right? And we all know what it's like to make an excuse for sin. If our anger boils over, we can point to the reason that it happened. We have an excuse for why we lost our temper. Well, if this didn't happen, and if this wasn't going on, then I wouldn't have reacted this way. If we fall into various sins of lust, we excuse ourselves because there's a reason that can explain away our sin. What's James doing? He's pushing back. He's pushing back on your excuses and on my excuses. He's pushing back on the ways that we deceive ourselves, and he, he won't accept it. That's why some people have trouble with this letter. It seems like it's works and all these things, and we're, we're going to see how that all fits together. But James pushes back on our excuses and our deception. He just won't have it. What James wants and what he needs is for us to understand that we are born again. We are a people who have the Spirit of God dwelling within us. And when we come to the Word of God, we are coming to the place where God speaks both His commanding but also His empowering words. And through His words, we grow into new realms and experiences and maturity of Christian life. When we hear the Word, we know the Word. And, and yet we're choosing not to respond to it. Just like a person who goes to a mirror to look at themselves and does nothing. And again, the illustration is helpful for us. Why would you look into a mirror? To, to get a different look. To get a better look. Right? To inspect yourself. Imagine this morning. I mean, look at all your outfits real quick. I think every single one of you looked in the mirror this morning. You're a good-looking church. Well done. Now, let's say you looked in the, in the mirror and you notice that your hair is not done and you're still wearing your pajamas. What is your response? I sometimes do that with, at home with the kids. I, I joke around. I say, I'm ready to go. And they're like, no, you're, you don't have a shirt on. I say, oh, my goodness. You know, but what if I actually looked in the mirror and I see that I'm not prepared to, not fit to go out into the world? And I say, okay, well, here, here we go. I asked Noah, what would that mean? He said, that person would be a maniac, which is a bit harsh, but, but there's truth there, right? If you walk away without changing anything, what James is saying is it's not accidental. It's a choice. The idea here is being self-deceived. You're deceiving yourself. If you're only hearing the word of God and yet not responding to the word of God. James is saying this is the nature and the reason that you're falling into sin and to disobedience. 
If you're not growing and maturing and living out what you believe, friend, you're either not hearing the word of God or you're not responding to the word of God that you've heard. And so, then, what is the path to obedience and growth? Look with me again to verse 25. But the one who looks intently into the perfect law of freedom and perseveres in it, and is not a forgetful hearer but a doer who works, this person will be blessed in what he does. Such beautiful words, and they're all kind of coming together in, in the main thrust of what James is teaching us. The perfect law of freedom, as referred here, is the Word of God. And we're going to see that in a minute. But first, let's notice what James is telling us to do. Four things. Look into, persevere, don't forget, and do. Now, we already considered the forgetful hearer and the doer part, right? We just, we just considered that. So let's talk about look into and persevere. And again, context is necessary for us. They're both speaking to the way that we interact with God's word. The, the phrase looks intently into is the same phrase, or it's with only just one word in the Greek, that is used in John chapter 20, verse 5. I'm not going to read that, but that's the passage where Peter and John went to the tomb. We're told that John, let's never forget, he got there first, right? He's faster than Peter. I always find that funny that he wrote that in the Bible. For all of eternity, we're going to remember which one is faster. And I'm Peter, most likely. I would have been third place. We're told that John stooped down and saw. Now, let's use our imaginations a bit. How do you think he looked? You just look in, he's not here, and just ran off? Well, we know exactly how it happened, but he's looking deeply, isn't he? He's, he's stared. He actually didn't even go in. Even though he got to the tomb first, we're told that when, by the time Peter got there, he goes in, and then afterwards, James, uh, excuse me, John goes back in. He's, in his looking, he's engaging with his mind and his heart. He's considering what, what could have happened. And he's remembering the things that he was told. And, and, and we're told later on that, that he saw and he believed. And so in the same way that John looked into the empty tomb of Jesus, we are called to look in the same way to the word of God, the perfect law of freedom. And it's not only to look, but to persevere in it. Again, both of these are talking about how we interact with the word of God. Keep looking. This is a continual look. Not just looking one time and, okay, I read the Bible. I'm good. I've read that book. I know that, that argument. I know that teaching. No, we keep looking continually. Right? James is calling to his dear brothers and sisters, he's, he's speaking to you and he's speaking to me to go to God's word with faith to hear and with humility to receive the words of life. The, the mirror of God's word reveals not only the outward, right? It's not only going to show us our works or our lack of works, but also our hearts 
and our motives. Now, when God reveals all these things to us, again, continually over a lifetime, we are to respond in faith. We respond by believing God and what he says and how he leads. And as we do, he will bear fruit in our lives. And James says that God's blessing will be known in our lives. I want to spend the last bit of our time on what James calls the perfect law of freedom. Now, he's most directly talking and referring to the God's law, but, but it covers the whole of God's word, both Old and New Testaments. Now, I don't know about you, but when I hear this phrasing, a law of freedom, it sounds like a paradox. Right? It, 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 it seems to be a contradiction because as we understand it, a law is put in place to restrain a person. Now, in most countries, again, we have to use our imagination again, a red light when driving means that a car cannot go. Right? I know that's not an experience we have here in Lebanon, but in most countries around the world, when you see a red light, you're not supposed to cross that at will whenever you want. And if it's broken, again, in most countries, there's some sort of penalty, right? There's some sort of, well, there's a ticket or taking away someone's license. And so, yes, the law does restrict from doing something. That's one way of looking at the law. And, and often it's true that human laws, because we are broken, can restrain from freedoms and from what is good. We can think of dozens of examples of bad policies that restrict from the good things of God. But good laws are good for us. They they keep us free. They, They help us to live in freedom and keep us safe. If everyone stopped their car at a red light, then the other cars can drive with freedom and with confidence. Right? The law, when laid properly and executed properly, enhances freedom. And that, that's the thing with God's perfect law. If we are quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. If we had time, we can discuss it more. But God gave his law, the Ten Commandments, not as a way to earn freedom, but as we think about the book of Exodus, as he set his people free, he then gave them his law so that they would continue to live in freedom. Now, God's law can be seen as a restraint, and so it's coming against our freedom, but again, that's not the right way of looking to God's law. James wants us to see that God's law is truly a a law of liberty, a law of freedom. So listen here. Freedom isn't a removal of all constraints, but the presence of the right ones. Let me say that again. True freedom isn't a removal of all constraints, but the presence of the right ones. And when we understand that, we will see the reality that God's law isn't burdensome, but it's good and necessary and freeing. The example of a fish out of water comes to mind. I shared that with someone this week. One could say that a fish, or that fish, which one's the plural? doesn't matter. That's where I get distracted. That fish are constrained by water. If only those poor fish were set free from that water, then they would experience true freedom. 
But when you take a fish out of water, it will die. Let's end there. We'll see you next week. Is that kind of a good, good place to stop? Why? Well, it's because it was created for water. And so for the believer who has been birthed by the word of God and is sustained by the word of God, for the believer who has the implanted word of God within, God's word reminds us that we were created by God and for God. We don't want to be free outside of Christ because we understand that that is not true freedom. We want to remain in Christ. Brothers and sisters, Christian freedom is doing what we're meant to do. And we are meant to love and worship God. We are our greatest selves when we are bound to God and found in his Son. Let me say that again. We are our greatest selves when we are bound to God and found in his Son. Friends, God isn't burdensome. And so his law and his words aren't to be a burden. We are, excuse me, let me say that again. When we are bound to the word of God, we are set free and liberated from the bondage of our own nature. And so in closing, let me say, have you responded in faith? You've heard the words of truth. You've heard the love of God who sent his son to both live in our place and to die in our place. You know from the word of God, but also from your own experience, that you are in need, that you can't be good enough or to do enough good things to be made right before God. So the question of the Bible is, will you believe? I pray that if you haven't, you will. And by believing, if you don't know what that means, what are you supposed to do? You put your hope. You recognize your sin. You recognize your lacking. You recognize that you're not able to live in this world without God, and you certainly aren't able to approach God for the world to come apart from him. And so you release all your efforts. You say, I, I, I admit and I recognize that I have nothing to present God. That's not a doctrine I need to teach you. You know your own self. You know your own mind when no one else is looking. You know your needs. And so the idea is saying, I, I surrender. I will no longer try to earn what has been freely given to me by God. I will believe, not in my works, but in God's work through his son, Jesus, that he died on the cross. He was buried and was raised from the dead so that we would have life. Oh, that you would believe that if you don't. And for those of you who do believe Is God's word bearing fruit in your life? Are you today resting in the promises of God, not just for parts of your life, but for every aspect of your life? Are you responding as we're called and commanded and encouraged by James to respond to God through continual and persevering belief? For freedom, you have been set free. Brothers and sisters, let's live in that freedom that's only found in Christ. Let's pray.
Father, we, we thank you that you've given us eyes to see you. Because we recognize that unless you give us eyes to see you, we are helpless and we are blind. And yet, Father, we also recognize that though we have eyes to see you, we are easily distracted. We are quickly looking to our own needs and drawn away by our own pleasures. And so we're not quick to hear you. We push against you rather than run to you. And so I pray, Father, that you would help us to be a people, not to see how far we can walk away and yet still be in line under your will and desire for us, but that we would draw closer and closer to you. Father, recognizing that's not only for your glory, but Father, it is for our good. Father, we thank you that though we will fail, Lord, your grace will always prevail. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.